Hey everyone, thank you for joining us for another incredible year of the Healing Ground Movement podcast. I am so grateful for all of the content, education, and amazing interviews we've been able to bring to our listeners despite everything that 2020 has thrown at us. We're going to be back next year with season two with even more incredible content, opportunity, offerings, and education coming your way. So look for us January 4th with a brand new episode on mental health. We're going to go ahead and take our two-week end-of-year vacation to rest quietly with our families, and we'll see you in 2021. In the meantime, please enjoy this end-of-year clip show featuring some of our favorite moments of our favorite episodes that we brought to you this year. We always like to get to know our guests with a, an easy look at the question, and that is, when was movement first fun for you? I love this question, and it's an <laughs> answer for me because it was when I started doing pole, uh, to be honest. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I definitely had that thing that, you know, when you're a kid where you have like a little bit of a playfulness with movement, which most kids do, I guess. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I used to do handstands on the lawn with my sisters and make up dances and all that kind of stuff. And then somewhere, you know, on the way to adulthood kind of lost that playful element to movement, um, which happens to, uh, you know, I would say probably most adults, let's face it. <laughs> But yeah, and even though I, I I was in the fitness industry for a long time before I started doing pole, I um, and if you'd asked me then when I was doing like gym workouts every day and stuff, I would have said that that was fun and that was that was fun for me. Um, but I didn't quite realize until I did pole like how playful and awesome and movement really could be. Uh, so yeah, definitely, like as soon as I did my first pole pass. I knew straight away that it was going to take over my life. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I wasn't expecting that answer for you. Knowing that you are a PT, that you've been in this industry for a long time, I, I, I'm kind of tickled and delighted to see that even when movement and athleticism is your career, you can still find new ways of engaging with it and finding joy. That's, that's fantastic. I want to make sure that we say a big thank you to all of our fabulous Movement Moment models. We have featured Yoga Girl from Janelle Peterson, Jim Bro from Kyle Matthews, Lauren Edwards as herself demonstrating hypermobility, and most recently, the at-home businessman, my husband, Tim Hudson. Thank you for bringing so much quality information and demonstrating all of our fantastic new tools and uh, showcasing the incredible Rad Roller. Now, if you haven't checked out our movement moments, click the link in the show notes below to make sure that you head on over to see all the incredible educational at-home self-care we're bringing right to you for free. We're not saying that if you have condition X, you're gonna have symptoms A, B, and C. For example, if you have a concussion, you're gonna have nausea. We're saying when you have a concussion and the brain is not able to compensate appropriately for that, then you get the symptom. Mm -hmm. But what we're looking for isn't, okay, how do we fix the big picture well enough so that way the symptom goes away. The first thing that we wanna say is, where in the brain does that symptom be, become caused? Mm -hmm. uh, easy one. And I'm going to throw out some technical terms there. That's all Googleable. So <laughs> we'll see what we can define in here as well. <laughs> sure, maybe throw in the notes with a little hyperlink. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, you can have, if you have nausea, mm -hmm. nausea is typically associated with overfiring of a part of the lower brainstem called the nucleus tractus solitarius, the NTS for short. Mm -hmm. It's a part of the brain that receives information from a lot of different areas mm -hmm. and sends information to a lot of different areas. But if this part is overfiring and you have nausea because of it, then the you would imagine that if you're looking for treatment for your nausea, you want to go to somebody who's going to be able to figure out what's causing this to overfire instead of let's try throwing supplement A mm -hmm. or treatment B or a nausea therapy, suppressant or or anything. Yeah. So instead of trying to say how do we tamper this down with a broad spectrum approach, how mm -hmm. do we get into the details, into the weeds and say let's take care of this directly? How do we test? How do we measure? Mm -hmm. And how do we move forward? I got back to that initial impetus of like, oh yeah, I got into this because I wanted performers to feel seen and for their mental health to be a priority and to be cared for. And so that was what got me to really step into doing Stark Psych. Amazing. It, yeah, had been like in my brain for <laughs> a minute. And finally I was like, you know, I'm gonna have to own this and like actually do it because it's what I care about the most. Well, I love how so often in life when we take a step back, mm -hmm. we can really come back around to the niche of what that passion is. Exactly. The, um, and I've, I've certainly seen this in my own life, my own profession, but when we dive too deep in and we have to unlearn expectations about being the hero and saving people from themselves mm -hmm. you can get back to okay I, I really do just want to help people mm -hmm. and now I can meet them where they're at yeah I, I've worked through my side of that or and we continue I to so. I mean we continue it's gonna to. take yeah yeah it's like we're not done none yeah. of us are we're, done. Never, yeah. we're never done but yeah. but you can at least take that step back into your own work so you can come back into that place of service where you can meet them where they're at exactly mm -hmm. and you know what's what I love about the social work degree mm -hmm. and the social work mindset is that it really does come from a place of of believing that people have within them mm -hmm. everything they need yeah. to heal. Um, and I really truly believe that. And I believe it, I think, especially for circus people, because the things that people bring to being a circus artist mm -hmm. are such strength of mind, resilience, compassion, mm -hmm. desire to understand and be understood. You know, like these are incredible human strengths. Um, and then we come into this really intensive environment, you know, folks who train to perform professionally or yeah. folks who are on the road all year, like are in a really difficult environment. Mm -hmm. They're separated from their friends and family. They're physically and mentally exhausted all the time. <laughs> yes. and they're in pain often. You yes. know? They are in these really strong, mm -hmm. intensive relationships with coaches mm -hmm. that a lot of people don't have a template for and don't know how to relate healthfully with a coach. Mm -hmm. And a lot of coaches didn't have a template or had a coach who was abusive. You know, like it's a whole yeah. thing, you know, and like to have a therapist who has enough of the experience of that life mm -hmm. to understand when someone says, look, my coach said this to me and I know what that means. Yeah. You know, is so valuable and I, I want it to be more easily accessible. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing in that virtual world um, to reach out and create community with, with your clients and members? Um, and what challenges are they facing that you are, are helping to solve? Yeah, so fear. Mm -hmm. is the challenge yeah um it's totally understandable fear in this year i mean what what this experience this major life experience that's happening right now mm -hmm. what this is really bringing to the surface is fear and mm -hmm. um it's totally natural it's also completely self-created and um you know something that can shift 
Mm -hmm. And so in that way, um, you know, there's fear with being in person. There's fear with being only online. There's fear with being in your home. There's fear with being out in public. There's fear, um, and that's all just like geophysical fear. Mm -hmm. And then there's also fear of like, okay, maybe there is something underneath here that is more significant. And then there's fear associated with that. Um, and then all the, th all the things in between. So, mm -hmm. you know, like, what are we doing? I guess being really vulnerable in the journey. I'm perhaps the type of person that shares too much. <laughs> that definitely <laughs> freaks a lot of people out, but I don't really yeah, know I any other way to be. Podcasts. The overshares are... <laughs> <laughs> you know, had a horrible lifestyle. It came with, I think I always attribute it to what I did. I used to work on cars for a living. I'm an ASC certified mechanic, <laughs> and which no one ever believes. And, you know, so I worked with men and I had a very manly kind of lifestyle. <laughs> and um, so in order to quit smoking, I took up running. And so that was, oh my word, um, oh, had to have been like 15 years ago, maybe. Uh, and I, I, you know, I couldn't even run five miles and, or excuse me, five minutes. You know? <laughs> and, and I remember, you know, thinking, oh my gosh, how am I gonna, you know, get into running even a 5K? And I ended up running half marathons for my race of choice and did that for years and years. And that's how I really got into movement because I needed to do something to give up the bad habit. So, so toxic, toxic masculinity is a, a symptom of the problem where those behaviors become really negative and and start to e erode and poison your life and your own health. But that's not where it started. And so trying to fix that is, is almost pathogenic. It's like, I'm gonna cut out this toxicity or, or try and poison the poison. Versus when you talk that. about confined masculinity, we suddenly have this salutogenic opportunity, this healing opportunity to uh, look at the structures, the confining nature of what's creating these restrictions and change them, open them, nurture them so that we can heal away from something that might be rotting inside. I, I love that framing, Carly. Yeah, I, I think you may have helped us <laughs> name something there. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's true. You know, the, what was really beautiful is I started working on the book with Ed um, is that I got to attend some of uh, or meet, meet with some of the men in his group that he started. He's uh, 30 years ago, we started a men's group called Men Mentoring Men or M3. And he has done that healing work, you know, or they, they have done it collectively where a lot of guys are, are kind of my age or his age in their fifties and sixties. And, you know, kind of realized partway through life that it was feeling pretty thin. You know, it, there was a the sort of a, an emptiness that a lot of these guys didn't have good relationships with their spouses with their kids uh they didn't feel satisfied at work um and ed's group has one rule only which is to say no man shames another which is such a, a powerful influence among men kind of mocking each other or shaming each other putting each other down and collectively they have come to really have this beautiful set of uh, uh relationships among themselves and it's it's healed their relationships out uh, you know outside the group as well with their family members family um friends and, and, and colleagues at work too. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 
I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional help.